Is that better? Yeah, thank you. Sorry, that was my fault. I realise I turned it on. I don't know. Might be. So, um, serving evangelism. So, we've already been thinking about evangelism. We've been thinking about prayer and evangelism. We have been thinking about apologetics, the reasons behind what we believe, the questions that people ask and how we might speak to them about the concerns that they have. This morning we're going to be thinking about serving and evangelism and then next Sunday we're going to be thinking about listening to God, the prophetic uh, and power in evangelism. So this morning, serving, evangelism. The key thing here, and in fact in all of these things, is that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, isn't it? That we just simply walk after him. He is our master, we are his disciples, we follow one footstep after another after him. Some key verses are from Philippians chapter 2, and uh, they say this, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. It's one of the key aspects, isn't it, of the incarnation that Jesus came among us to share good news, to share the gospel as a servant. He made himself, it's that horrible word, isn't it? Nothing. I mean, at least give us a percentage. He made himself nothing, being like a servant. And being like Jesus is the key thing. If ever there is only one thing that we would like you to take away from uh, these few weeks, it's actually we need to be like Jesus. Whatever that looks like, we need to be like him. So just uh, over a week ago now, after a very, very long journey and, uh, and lacking of sleep, I found myself in the reception of the Africa Mercy, which is quite a huge ship docked in Douala, which I didn't even know existed up until a little while ago, um, one of the ports in Cameroon. I'm going to do a disclaimer here. I'm going to tell some stories from people working for mercy ships in Cameroon. This does not mean that I think that the only way to serve God or reach people is by traveling across the world to be on a ship in Cameroon. But you asked me to tell some stories about that, so that's where I'm going to land. But please don't hear only those kind of people are doing it, because I really don't want you to hear that this morning. So I got there, and uh, weary though I was, they said that they needed to take my photograph. It wasn't the best photograph that's ever been taken. But a plaque in the reception caught my eye. And uh, it says this, Mercy Ships follows the 2,000-year-old model of Jesus bringing hope and a healing to the world's forgotten poor. I love it. It's about following the model of Jesus. It doesn't matter that it's over 2,000 years since he gave us that model. It's following his model, bringing hope and healing, in their case, to the world's forgotten poor. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is near. It's near. It's not far away. It's near. It's here. Wherever he is, the kingdom of heaven is. The rule of God is worked out. Through serving, through demonstrating the kingdom, through demonstrating the rule of Christ, where you are, you are serving and bringing about that reality that the kingdom of heaven is near. 
People said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say back? Okay, shall we try that again? I'll give you the first word, love. All right, one, two, three. Love with all your... And... Okay, that was better. So simplified, love God, love other people. Then you don't need to worry about the heart, soul, strength, and mind bit, which order it comes. Love God and love other people. Jesus' own manifesto, his own purpose was all about loving God, knowing the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in his own life, and loving other people. If you look to Luke chapter 4, it's good, I can hear rustling. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' example is sharing good news through serving people. He fed people when they were hungry. He provided for people in need when the wine ran out, ran out at the wedding. Jesus sorted it out. He served those people. He healed people. He touched the outcast. He gave his time. He washed people's feet. And he gave his own life. Jesus sets us the perfect example of how to share good news through serving other people. In the early church, that first community of believers expressed the life of Jesus in the way that they met together. In Acts chapter 2, it says, all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those who were in need. Later on in Acts chapter 6, when some of the widows are feeling discriminated against, they choose particular people to make sure that everyone is cared for, everyone is fed, everyone feels important and valuable. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples and friends, who had lived and walked with Jesus for more than three years, in his letter in 1 John 3, expresses the core of the gospel. Oh, let's go back. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's the whole gospel there, isn't it? Jesus loved us. He laid down his life for us. We submit our lives and lay them down for him. And it's worked out in practical acts of service. We don't just love with words and speech, but in actions and truth. I was one of Jesus' closest friends. That's the message he's bringing to the church. That's how the gospel works itself out. And then there's James and the book of James, which was written, well, there's a bit of a controversy about who it was written by, really. But either it was written by James, Jesus' disciple, you know, James and John, that James, or it was written by James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. 
for this particular moment, it really doesn't matter because the key point is this is someone who is really close to Jesus. This is someone who knew Jesus intimately, who'd listened to him, who knew what he was saying, who understood all the things he was teaching about the kingdom of God. And so I want us for a few moments to look at some of James chapter 2 as we unpack this together. You might want to turn to it. Seems to have gone AWOL from my Bible. James, here we are. And there's three pairs or partnerships that I want us to look at over these next few moments that I think help us to understand what serving evangelism really needs to look like. Verse 18 of James chapter 2. Someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did." So that's the first partnership, faith and works, faith and works together. What we believe and how that works out. James says, even the demons believe that there is one God and they shudder, which is quite encouraging. But that's not enough. If we believe, if we have faith, if we're committed to Christ, then that has to work out in the way that we live and what we do. Let me introduce you to a couple. This is Pete and Georgia. They are from Somerset. They are currently living off the edge of Cameroon. A number of years ago, um, they were at Spring Harvest, which is all good for our story, um, and they felt that God was really calling them just to lay down their lives and submit to whatever he called them to do. She's a journalist. He's a tractor mechanic. They'd only been married a couple of years. They have their own home. They live in a community close to their families. Then they heard about mercy ships. You know what the main need was on the African mercy, which they couldn't find anyone to fulfill? A mechanic. They have a fleet of Toyota Land Cruisers, and they need mechanics to sort them out because they're always used all of the time and they go wrong. It was so lovely. I was listening to the interview that they were giving to hear their commitment to faith, their love for Jesus, the way that they kind of knew that that had to be worked out by giving everything to him. And when they felt called, they sold their house. Now, I know everybody needs to do that or does do it, but they felt that they wanted to give everything. They raised 7,000 pounds to go and work. She works in communications and he mends the Land Rovers. They don't think it's probably forever, but they're excited about seeing their faith worked out in action, about sharing the good news of Jesus wherever they find themselves in roles that they could be doing at home, but they're doing on the African mercy. It's faith worked out in action. And they particularly, I think, demonstrated both those two things, an utter conviction and commitment in their faith, and that worked out in the way that they were living. Let me introduce you to another family. This is Gary and Susan Parker and their children, Karis and Wesley. 
Gary has been chief surgeon on the Africa Mercy for 30 years. 30 years! And uh, Susan is the senior chaplain at the moment. Both their children have grown up on the ship. And whilst I was there, they were currently both volunteering. Karis was in the chaplaincy department and Wesley's training to be a physio and he was doing that. These are people who have committed their whole lives to serving God in this particular way, in taking their skills, the gifts that they have, and instead of for him being a surgeon in the US and earning shed loads of money, they've given their whole lives to serving on mercy ships. This guy, Leo Cheng, is also a maxillofacial surgeon. He works in London. Every year for two weeks, he goes to Africa Mercy and does surgery from early morning till late at night, serving, uh, in this place, the people from Cameroon, of course. He works full-time in London. He's a very senior maxillofacial surgeon. His way he expresses his faith in action is in his normal work, and then for two weeks every year for 15 years, he has gone to the Africa Mercy in his holidays to do more surgery. You see, it can look different, can't it? Not everyone has to go for 30 years. Not everyone even has to go anywhere for two weeks. It is about faith worked out in action where we find ourselves sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith has to be worked out. We have to live out what we claim to believe. The integrity of our faith and our lives is what communicates authenticity to the people around us, isn't it? So when we proclaim the gospel, it rings true. When we talk about Jesus and what he's done for us, it makes sense, it rings true. It's what we believe and it's also how we act. So that's the first partnership. The second one, and I'm going to read to you from James chapter 2 again, verse 14. In a moment. <laughs> James wrote at a time where the backdrop was really Greek philosophy. And uh, so that's what they were talking about. There were two main strands. There was the Epicureans. This is the very brief version. The Epicureans, whose basic philosophy of life was this, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Personally, I think I might have signed up for that. I think it sounds quite good. It was all about the body, all about enjoying yourself. Don't worry too much about everything else. Just live for today, because that's all that it is, and just have a great time. I think that it um, pretty much represents the spirit of our age, actually. There were also the Platonists, and they were kind of the type that were connected with the word logos, the word, spirit, um, rationality, the mind. And the whole point was that you denied the material world. You're trying to make it fade into the background. You denied the body, and it was all about the spirit. What James does and what the gospel does is it brings together those two things. Jesus is the ultimate bringer together of the body and the spirit. God incarnate, God in flesh, word made flesh. Jesus, the word of God in flesh, in human body, came amongst us. Do you see how he cuts through both those particular lines of philosophy and brings them both together? And James does the same, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but it does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. James chapter 2 says it's not okay to ignore the glaringly obvious needs that someone has. It's not okay just to be concerned with someone's spiritual welfare if they're starving or homeless or have no clothes or are in great debt or are in prison. We need to be concerned about their well-being. We need to address the presenting needs as well as the spiritual needs. Serving evangelism is provoked by the love of Jesus, isn't it? To love others, to care, to feed, to support, to bring healing, body, mind, and spirit. We are part of a holistic gospel that deals with us as whole people. In history, it was those who really grasped the gospel of Jesus, the evangelical reformers, who took that and applied it to schools and hospitals and prisons and slavery because they saw that the gospel needed to be worked out in transforming society and transforming lives. That's what the gospel is really all about. Let me introduce you to another bunch of people. These people are all queuing up for the eye clinic, and uh, particularly for the final bit of their treatment. There's 140 people are going to be part of this queue. They wouldn't all fit on my photo. One of the things that African Mercy does is it uh, um, conducts many cataract operations. Most people, by the time that they have come, have double cataracts. Um, they choose to only operate on one because uh, then your brain rewires and you can still see and function. Um, and that means they can deal with lots more people. So they do the surgery. It's, it's amazing, really. It's, it's never what you would plan. All the people gather on the dock. They can't see, right? <laughs> then they are taken up this huge steps, which reach the fifth deck of the boat ship. Sorry. Um, so they guided all the way up. Then the surgery deck is right down at the bottom again. <laughs> so then they have to go down all the steps. Then they have the surgery. You can tell because they have a big cotton wool patch over their eye. They still can't see. Then they have to be guided all the way back down the steps again to the dock. Sure, there must be an easier way. So a few weeks later, they come to this clinic. It was something else. They got all arranged on benches, more squished together than we would be comfortable with. Each person has the laser treatment that lasts 20 seconds, to, which is a secondary thing to the cataract. At the end of that, they're all rearranged on the benches facing the other direction and um, with a piece of paper. And then they have this service as a celebration of sight. And uh, you know what? It's the way forward, Phil. Drums, no PA, no data projectors, no nothing. <laughs> Just really enthusiastic singing. And they prayed, and they shared the word of God, and then these guys got up. Now, some of them are Christians, some of them aren't, some of them are Muslims. And they just gave their stories. And it broadly went like this. I was blind, and now I can see. Does that sound familiar? Is that not part of the gospel? And the first thing that every person is handed is a Bible. And there was one lady, she was beautiful, there was... There was a compare, trying to keep the thing brief. It really wasn't happening. <laughs> and, uh, and she stood there and she, she said what had happened. 
And she said, and it's so wonderful because now I can read my Bible. I can see it. I can see Jesus making the blind people see. I can read this good news. And she said, and may I just, this is supposed to be brief, may I just lead you in a song? They're not good at singing things once, and they're not good at singing them without everyone getting up and dancing as well. So the brief went out the window at that point. It's the gospel, isn't it? And then we walked with this little girl. She's 12. She's a bit shy. Katimi. She had arrived by helicopter from the north of Cameroon. She had come with a man from the village who she didn't know, but who spoke French as well as her tribal language. Would you send your 12-year-old to the other end of the country with a man that she doesn't know? She had this huge tumor that covered the whole of one half of her face and her eye. We didn't see that, although I saw the photographs. She'd had that removed, but her eye was a bit skewy and everything wasn't quite right. So she was having a second surgery to tighten up the skin. And You know, in that place, she heard the good news of Jesus. In that place, she witnessed people celebrate with joy. In that place, she was touched. She was dignified as a person. People spoke to her. She had been in her house and excluded from her village because of the deformity that she carried. She was reached with the grace of Jesus in that place. And this little girl, one year old, tons of character. You know, they can't, they can't operate on that tumor. They are seeking to shrink it. But in the meantime, she's loved. She was hugged. Her mom was encouraged. Her grandma was there at the hospital as well. And they'll be supported into this next bit of their lives. If I'd stood by this wall of pictures for much longer, I'd have never walked away. These are the women that have um, had obstetric fissure surgery, been through childbirth, really challenging. Often the baby has died in the process and left with a tear which leaves them incontinent and no capacity to deal with that where they are. So they're marginalized and excluded. So they've lost a baby probably and then they are marginalized and excluded and unclean. And they brought them to the ship for a relatively brief surgery. Let me, let me just share a couple of their pictures with you. Because it, they have a big ceremony at the end where they all dress in their amazing colored dresses, which look like, I would look like I was going to a wedding if I was wearing them. And they're asked, how did you feel before and how do you feel after? So if this is Florentine. She said, before I felt ashamed and now I am healed. This is a lady called Rojo Tiana. She said, before I felt rejected and now I feel free. This is a lady whose name I can't pronounce. She said... <laughs> Before I felt hopeless, and now I'm very happy. And Angelique says, I was useless, but now I am joyful and free. Whoa. So, is that not the gospel? Is that not the story that we were ashamed and rejected and hopeless and useless, but now, because of Jesus, we are healed and free and happy and joyful? Is that not the gospel? And it's true for our food bank, and it's true for CAP, and it's true for our job club, and our lunch club, and messy hands, because we reach out to people where they are, and serve them 
and we deal with a whole person and share with them the grace of Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I came across this quote, which you've accidentally just seen, by a guy called Vance Havner, uh, talking about the prodigal son, and he says this, If they had had a social gospel in the days of the prodigal son, somebody would have given him a bed and a sandwich, and he would never have gone home. (laughs) You know, over this last mm, century or so, there has been a tension sometimes more so, between the so-called social gospel where we actually help people (laughs) and the kind of proper gospel. I'm not sure what that's called. Just the gospel? Yeah. Where we tell people about Jesus and the cross. And there's been this tension and people have found themselves on, on one side or the other. And the social gospel was understood to be liberal and vague and not, not really cutting it. And then the gospel that was preached from the pulpit was understood to, well, that's not making any difference to people because look, we've got the poor and the homeless on our streets and people are going hungry and kids are working up chimneys. So, you know, and gradually it seems that in these last couple of decades, we have managed to bring these things together to where they should be, that this is about the kingdom of God, the rule of God being seen throughout our whole life, spirit, mind, and body. So these are some questions. What does the gospel look like? What, is the gospel, what do you think the gospel really looks like? Does it look like a few words on a piece of paper? Or does it look like the transforming of your life and everyone who comes into contact with you? Does it change this community? Does it change our world? What really is evangelism? Is it shouting at people from a distance? I really hope that we've kind of got that message across that it's not. Or is it sharing your story of Jesus in some way with them? What does good news look like in every circumstance? Because it's different, isn't it, for different people at different times? And here's a question. When are we shortchanging people? You know, if I'm honest, after the first two days of being on Mercy Ships, which was utterly amazing... Gavin Calver, who I went with, and I were having a conversation. And we went, well, this is just amazing. But where's the gospel? Where's Jesus in this? Because we'd seen a lot of surgery. And, but where, where's, kind of how does this all connect together? Because you have to ask these kind of questions, don't you? And then for the next two days, we saw amazing examples of how it all connected as they have local hospital chaplains who speak the language they come in the wards really think we should bring this on at Airedale I'm sure there must be enough people here who can have influence come in the wards every morning with their drums and (laughs) and brightly colored clothes and they walk in and every single ward they did this all taking turns they sung the loudest most enthusiastic songs with drumming and dancing Then someone prayed. Everything was translated at least once, sometimes more, so it went on a while. Then they shared a word, something about the joy of the Lord is your strength, or something kind of positive like that. And then they went in the next ward, and it was really loud, and it was really positive, and some of them stayed so that anyone who wanted to talk could talk to someone in their own language. You could virtually see patients being lifted off the bed 
as they sung, as they prayed, just as their spirits were touched with the beauty and grace of Jesus. See, the third pair of words is this, words and actions. Romans chapter 10. Verse 8 says this. What does it mean? Sorry, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. We are... Whoa. I don't know what that was. Never mind. Could you go back to there, please, Martin? Um, the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture said, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And then verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not yet believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? You know, actions are not enough. Serving is not enough on its own. We need to speak about who Jesus is, what he's done, how he's changed us, and what it means for other people. As we serve, as the opportunity arises, we need to speak so that people know about the good news of Jesus. Sacrificial serving provokes questions, doesn't it, about our motivation when someone sells up in the UK or the US or wherever and goes to live in a small cabin with walls about the thickness of toilet paper, people say, why have you done this? What is your motivation for doing this? Sometimes when individuals rather than just agencies come to the food bank, you can see written across their faces and Yesterday, Friday, we had a guy. It's like, why are you doing this? Who is doing this? What, why would you do this for me? Spent most of the conversation saying, no, it's fine. I don't, I'm not worth anything else, was broadly what he was saying. Yes, you are. Why are you doing this? And that's the point where we need to think about what we want to say that points to Jesus. Mother Teresa says, small things done with great love will change the world. You know, that doesn't have to be in Africa. More often than not, it's in our own home with our own friends in our own places of work where we spend an awful lot of our lives serving out of the grace of God within us, the love of God within us, with that as our motivation for all that we do. We're going to run out of time. Serving opens doors, doesn't it, to sharing the good news when we genuinely care for the whole person, when we care with integrity and authenticity, it really makes a difference. It points to Jesus. I want to tell you just a brief story that I saw on Facebook yesterday, which is not from Africa. Because <laughs> it says, it starts like this, actions speak louder than words. And I thought, oh, that seems to be what I'm preaching on tomorrow. Um, and uh, a lady spotted it on the Hale and Altrincham Facebook group, which I'm sure is a particularly elite kind of Facebook group. And uh, it's about a friend of ours who happens to be the minister of Altrincham Baptist Church. So this 
man has written this. If anyone on this site knows a gentleman with a Wheaton Terrier called Lola, who lives off Park Road in Timperley, that's Ashley Hardingham, please can you pass on my profuse thanks for helping me out today when I ran out of petrol. Not only did he push my car off the main road, but he went home and brought back a petrol can and got me mobile again. He was a true gentleman and a genuine good Samaritan. Thank you so much. Serving opens doors, doesn't it? Opens doors for conversations and opportunities. And I just want to finish here because, Phil, you can close your ears to this. If we're honest, when Phil was talking about apologetics last Sunday, some of us were going, I can't do that. It's too hard. He's really clever and he knows all the answers and I don't. But you know, with this one, you can do it. Can't you? I mean, we can all serve, can't we? We can all serve someone. We can all do something kind for someone. We can all be generous. We can all give a bit of time. Galatians says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Now, we are giving you loads of opportunities to do good to people. You can give them cakes. You can give them water. You can listen to them. Maybe it's taking a food parcel. Maybe it's going visiting a cap client with Ruth. Maybe it's serving dinner at the job club or any of the other many opportunities we give you to serve food to people. Maybe it's making time to listen. Maybe it's working on someone's CV with them. Whatever it is, serving in the name of Jesus. And you know what? Phil said this before I started speaking. Because there's a verse in Romans and it says this, God's kindness leads people to repentance. His kindness. God's kindness. It's not a word that we often use, is it, actually? God's kindness through us leads people to a point where they want to turn their lives around and say, I want to walk a different way under the Lordship of Jesus. I want him to direct me and to be my saviour. We are part of that, leading people to that point through the kindness of God expressed in us. You can do that. You can do that. So please sign up for the opportunities. But please look for those that are around you in your workplace and wherever. You know, sometimes we get fed up, don't we? And we don't want to do things like that anymore. But, you know, there are many opportunities to be kind and to serve and to open those doors in the name of Jesus for his kingdom to draw ever nearer to them. Can we sing something before it's communion? Is that all right? So I can breathe. (laughs) If you're serving communion, perhaps you could just come up and be ready, please.